Welcome back to Cancer Perspective. We're picking right back up where we left off with Gina on our last episode, where Gina helped us with many topics that cancer patients may struggle with during treatment, including dry mouth, taste changes, swallowing difficulties, getting enough calories, getting enough protein. She gave us many, many tips and tricks that I hope you will have a chance to listen to. On this episode, we're going to cover enteral feedings or bypassing the mouth and the stomach and going straight into the gut with tube feedings. She'll help us understand the pros of this type of feeding, and we also talk about liquid nutrition. Thank you for joining us. Gina and I are happy to have you back on part two of our conversation. We've talked a lot about the taste, the head, the neck. Some of our esophageal patients will have an esophagectomy, a removal of the esophagus. Oftentimes, it's a esophagectomy with a pull-through, meaning they've taken your stomach and pulled it up, and it actually becomes part of your esophagus or where your esophagus was. That means you have a smaller stomach to work with. It also means a drastic change in your anatomy. Can those people ever eat again? The answer is yes. We just have to eat differently and frequently. If we're using part of our stomach and it's now much smaller, think about people maybe that have had bariatric surgery or whatever. Those people can only eat little tiny spoonfuls It's almost like that. If there's less room, we need to eat less volume. But if we're eating less volume and we have higher calorie needs, and now we just had surgery, which increases our calorie needs and protein needs, well, how do we maintain that? How do we manage that? Working with the registered dietitian to alter and tweak the types of foods that you're consuming. After an esophagectomy, they usually do a transition phase diet. They do kind of clear and then liquid only. And then they may do what may be called a mechanical soft, which basically is like meat just chopped up in bite-sized portion things. And then eventually you definitely can transition back to complete solid foods. But you have to chew your food very thoroughly and you have to eat smaller portions, but you have to eat more frequently to maintain your bodily needs or maintain nutrition status. Excellent. Very good. Unfortunately, with some of my esophagectomy patients, maintaining the amount of nutrition they need with eating food and drinking only is just unfortunately out of the question. So what do we do then? Oftentimes, we have a J-tube placed. So there are many parts of the gut, as we have learned in separate episodes. There's the duodenum and then the jejunum, and you're talking about putting a tube in the jejunum, and that bypasses the whole stomach. Bingo. That's the key behind using that type of feeding tube. With what stomach you have left, there is not much room. If we put a feeding tube in there, you will only be able to feed tiny amounts, and that's unrealistic. 
Let's continue to eat by mouth, have food go down and function, but we know you're not going to get optimal nutrition. So let's bypass that whole area that's causing this issue and go straight into an area where we can absorb things and you won't get that severe fullness or volume overload that you're getting in the creation of your new esophagus and your stomach. That's important to note. There might be all sorts of different feeding tubes that a head and neck or an esophageal patient may require a feeding tube at some point, something like the PEG tubes or the J tubes or the GJ tubes or the G tubes. Feeding tubes is probably one of my most favorite topics. It's definitely a passion of mine. I find it very interesting. And today I really want to just break down the barriers and the myths You may have just kind of flinched a little as Sarah mentioned the word feeding tube, but it is really not a scary term. So today we will kind of break that down for you. Let's start with when is a feeding tube appropriate? Obviously, it may be healthcare provider dependent. There's a lot of factors that go into needing a feeding tube. Your doctor, your provider, your dietitian, all these people will work together with their assessments to decipher when a feeding tube may or may not be appropriate. Sometimes people are told by their providers that they need to get a feeding tube prior to the start of treatment. Some patients come to me and are like, well, why do I need one? I'm eating fine, right? What is the point of having something if I'm doing fine? They may have presented with a ton of weight loss already and their body is maybe at a poorly nourished state and we know their treatment regimen is going to be extremely difficult for them to maintain their nutrition. Sometimes it's a matter of where that tumor is. Absolutely. If the tumor is already obstructing your ability to swallow food, Well, you obviously are not going to be able to maintain much nutrition, so you will need that feeding tube right now, immediately. Or if they're getting treatment directed at a place that they know will break down easier, they may be fine right this moment, but based on the history of the treatment that they're going to get, they're not going to be able to maintain their swallowing ability. Yes, that brings up a good point. When we are getting treatment directed towards the area where we chew, where we swallow, we know the treatment is rough. It's rough. I'm a realist with my patients. I let them know, listen, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. So a feeding tube is going to support you in this process. Now, not all providers are pro-feeding tubes and may not recommend a patient get a feeding tube. Sometimes patients will have to advocate for themselves or their loved ones. Listen, they're just deteriorating before my eyes. I know he won't cope well or do well with eating. Can we discuss a feeding tube? Can we get referred for a feeding tube? That may be a discussion as well. Other places, all head and necks get a feeding tube prophylactically or before treatment. Every place has their own different kind of protocols, but where I currently am with it, I have seen people make it through treatment without a feeding tube. They either did it on the skin of their teeth or they were very, very proactive and worked with me twice a week 
did what needed to be done and forced the nutrition in them. Other people thanked me when they got their feeding tube and noticed that they felt better. Timing may be different, but you don't want to wait too long because when the side effects come, they come like a ton of bricks out of the blue. And again, with radiation, I typically tell it's towards the end of the second, beginning of third week when patients overnight all of a sudden just can't swallow because of the pain. Right. It just becomes mechanically impossible to get that nutrition in. And it is nice to have a way to bypass and have nutrition provided into you. When we use these feeding tubes, tell us a little bit about what goes into that. Yeah, feeding tubes may send a end-of-life message to a lot of patients. That is not the case. The feeding tube is a tool. It's an assistance A feeding tube is a very simple procedure and can most often be done in an outpatient setting. I actually just saw one done the other day in the hospital. It took about 15 minutes for a G-tube. That is a non-surgical procedure. The patient was kind of twilighted, meaning they were not under full anesthesia, so it's a little bit safer too. And the patient was able to go home that day and use his feeding tube the next day. It's a very simple procedure. I do like to tell my patients, though, if they are considering it, that we do want to make sure we make a decision fast. Because remember, you know, it takes time to get scheduled and such. And if the esophagus is too badly damaged or swollen or irritated, we may not be able to do the procedure. Right, because with a more invasive feeding tube, they have to use the esophageal area. Yes, exactly. And they may not be able to put the wire or whatever all the way down and it may cause damage. So essentially, we do not often recommend what you call NG tubes. If you've ever heard that term, that's more of something done in an inpatient setting, in an acute or short-term type setting. With my adult oncology patients, oftentimes it's a G-tube if you have issues more from the middle or the top of the esophagus up. Any issue there, we give a G-tube, meaning a tube comes out of the belly and nutrition is going directly into the gastric area. If there is issues with the bottom of the esophagus, I prefer a J-tube or a GJ tube. Not all surgeons do, but I have seen the best results because if you put a feeding tube into the belly and you have a tumor or issues at the top of the esophagus, you're still going to have early fullness and won't even meet your nutrition needs, even with liquid going in from the feeding tube. Let's talk about those myths behind the feeding tube. Most common one, I can't eat at all. False. The patient can still eat with a feeding tube, and it's actually recommended that you do. You want those mechanics to be maintained. You want your stimulus of the saliva. If possible, you want to stimulate the mechanism of swallowing. Keep your body from forgetting how to swallow without choking. 
Exactly. And I tell my patients, rule of thumb is use it or lose it. So if you don't use your swallowing function, you may end up losing it and have to retrain your body how to swallow or the muscles may deteriorate. I often have patients that will be hooked up to their feeding tube or utilizing their feeding tube and eating or drinking at the same time. You can most definitely still eat and it's encouraged. Another myth, this is an end of life type scenario. My doctor told me I need a feeding tube and that means, oh my gosh, this is the end. Does that mean my cancer is so progressive that I'm not going to make it and this is just, you know, not good news? No, this is a supplemental tool, meaning in addition to, it's going to help in addition to whatever you can do by mouth, this is going to offset what you can't meet. This is going to take a heavy burden off of you. This is just going to assist you. Do some patients rely on it solely for a certain period of time? Absolutely. Is that okay? Absolutely. Is a feeding tube, once it's in there, have to stay in there forever? Not at all. If you can get your body and eat and drink and meet your nutrient needs at some point, we can safely remove that feeding tube which is very easily done and often done in an outpatient visit and does not require an additional procedure. So just another benefit of a feeding tube. I have heard people be concerned that they are tied to one room and a chair because of the machines that pump in the feeding. No, so you are not tied to a machine or restrictive. The forms of feeding are different. The time of feeding can be different. And you can work with your dietitian to specialize your nutrition plan with the use of a feeding tube. You can still do almost all of the activities that you have done in the past and want to continue to do with even having a feeding tube. That's good news. If it was end of life, most cancer physicians are not going to recommend a feeding tube. So it usually is a good sign. Exactly. That's actually a really good point. I'm going to steal that from you, Sarah, that yes, when it is end of life, it's actually contraindicated and evidence and research is telling us don't recommend a feeding tube. Again, listen to your team if they are wanting to have that discussion. And there are many benefits of having a feeding tube. What are those pros, Gina? Well, the first big one that actually shocks a lot of people is the medication. Absolutely. You can put your medication straight in that feeding tube and you don't have to worry about swallowing pills or choking on things that make the taste even worse. Exactly. Your team can adjust your medications into either liquid form or we can crush them up and administer them through the feeding tube. A lot of patients do like that, especially with some of those pills. I mean, the potassium pills, Sarah, are huge. Made for horses. Basically. If your throat is all radiated and sore and inflamed and has very limited space for things to slide down and you have to get that potassium pill down or other medications, sometimes it's easier and a benefit of having a feeding tube to do it that way. Another benefit is hydration. A lot of treatment, especially the chemotherapies chosen, 
require an extreme amount of fluid to maintain hydration. I tell patients, unfortunately, IV hydration is just sometimes part of the treatment protocol and don't get down on yourself about it. But one perk of a feeding tube is you can do at-home hydration and prevent the need to get some IV fluids. For example, if you do a gravity bag form of feeding, it's a very easy thing. Think of if you've ever seen someone sit in a chair and have an IV pole with a bag of fluid and it's going into them either through a port or through your vein, right? This is like that. You have a pole and a bag and a long tubing and it connects to the feeding tube in your belly or in your J tube down through the jejunum. So either your G or your J, right? It connects and you could sit in a recliner with a bowl of ice cream, watch your favorite movie and at the same way have some Powerade and water and Pedialyte mix going into your belly and not even know it's doing it, right? You may sense some fullness, but the benefit is you can sit, eat, relax, and get some hydration as well. And you don't even have to see me. I know, so that's the best part. (laughs) Other tips and tricks with that too is we can tell patients if they're seeming a little underhydrated, they can use extra flushes when they flush their tube out. Use an extra amount or put a little salt in there if their salt is low. Little tips like that can make a big difference in a hydration status. A hundred percent. And you can pack in amazing amount of electrolytes in a small volume of water as well. When Sarah mentioned the word flush, with a feeding tube comes a new set of medical terminology. And flush is basically that water going in. So you flush before and after a feeding and before and after medication. It clears the tube with water and then pushes whatever you just put in the tube, whether that be food or medication. Make sure it fully pushes through into that area and clears the tube of any residual amount to make sure you get the full effect. Another benefit of a feeding tube is that... Some patients still want to eat throughout the day. They say, I don't have any more room in my belly for nutrition from a feeding tube to come in. Well, you can feed while you sleep. You can feed at night. And it is so simple and your body responds to it very well. Yes, you may have to adjust a few things like, you know, sleep a little upright, add that extra pillow behind your back. But it is very simple. It's not dangerous. So work with the dietitian and the healthcare team to see what form of feeding is going to be the best method. Don't always feel like you're stuck with one. Sometimes at a certain point, you can do the easy syringe method, but now you're so weak and tired into treatment. That's exhausting. Let's do the gravity bag method. Let's hang it on a bag, relax, take a nap, get some nutrition. Or a pump method, go to bed and get some nutrition, wake up and try and eat. Again, we can tailor it to your needs. Don't feel like you're stuck. As far as the flush goes, is any old water okay? Awesome question. This is a very valid point. Any water you deem safe to drink that you're drinking right now at home is safe to go through your feeding tube. 
The only stipulation I give to my patients is make sure it's room temperature. No extreme temperatures. It won't severely hurt you, but you will notice a little cramp wherever you put that water through into your belly. Think about if you ever drink something severely hot, severely cold, you notice it going down. Well, that's going directly into the gut or the intestines without having time to bypass down the digestive tract and cool off. So room temperature with any liquid through the tube, but you do not have to buy sterile water. If you drink well, tap, bottled, whatever's easiest. Sometimes I like to encourage whatever water you do drink have like four or five water bottles on the counter, however many your dietitian says you need for your fluids and already pre-made these water bottles and refill them every night. That way it gives you a good visual goal of, okay, I'm going to stay fully hydrated if I get all five of these water bottles in that are sitting on my counter. Maybe it's noon and I've only had two water bottles gone through me in the feeding tube. I need to really kick it into gear to prevent dehydration. Excellent. Because as we've heard in previous episodes, dehydration is the enemy. We know anybody on any treatment with any kind of cancer will do much better if they're well hydrated. Absolutely. That feeding tube is going to be such a great tool to help with your hydration. When I talk to patients about having a tool that might be helpful, but the patient is resistant to it, I like to use the analogy, if you broke an ankle, you may require a crutch. You aren't going to walk on that ankle. You're going to need a crutch for a little bit until things get better. You're going to do it and you're not going to be sorry about it. And that's how I see feeding tubes. Me too, Sarah. I've had really stubborn patients call me a week after getting their feeding tube and thank me for encouraging them because they really do feel better. It does make a difference. And it's not forever. That's another myth. This is not a forever tool. Some patients, yes, but most of the time it's not forever And it can be removed once you regain the ability to eat and drink by mouth everything you need to maintain your body weight. That's another important part of the role of the dietitian after treatment to get your tube removed. We want to transition you to go back to eating 100% by yourself without use of the feeding tube without losing weight unintentionally because that can sometimes be a big danger post-treatment is when patients are trying to get their feeding tubes removed and transition back to eating and drinking everything by mouth that we can lose weight very rapidly. So it's very key that you continue to work closely and have a game plan of weaning off the feeding tube to stabilize that weight. And that also might take another member of the team, like a speech therapist. Yes, speech therapy will definitely provide outstanding resources, assistance to help regain that swallowing function, textures of food, safe consistencies of food at certain points. And you may also require what we call swallow studies. Some facilities do a pre-treatment and post-treatment swallow study 
Some facilities do more of like an as-needed-as-they-see-fit situation. Again, that's another term you may hear. It's not very invasive at all. It's just an x-ray to see if you have a risk of choking on your food or aspirating your food into your lungs. And once they see the risk for aspiration, the speech pathologist may recommend a certain consistency of liquid or type of diet that is safe. If you are having aspiration problems, most of the time people are shocked that thin liquids are the more dangerous liquids. So water is more dangerous than milk. Exactly. Your dietitian can help you figure out that consistency and also add thickeners and such. There's so much knowledge that we can help provide when it comes to food. There's so many ways we can alter it. If you are to get a feeding tube, you want a dietitian in your corner. My role at my facilities, the dietitian is your go-to person when it comes to feeding tubes. Absolutely. We can't do it without a dietitian in my facility either. We don't have that specialized knowledge that can be so beneficial. Sometimes we don't have the time that we need to explore all these little things that a dietitian can help find the right answers for you. Yes, exactly. Sometimes a dietitian can assess or catch, wow, this patient needs a feeding tube. They can often recommend which form is the best to obtain and help push the patient through to the facility and get them in due to maybe a super malnourished state. They have the ins and outs with the surgeons. They can explain to you what will happen during the procedure. The dietitian can be one of the people that teach you how to use your feeding tube. And that's one of my favorite days is when I get to do feeding tube education. I'm sure it's because it is so rewarding that you're being helpful. We also like it because prescribing the actual caloric needs and which specialized formulas might be required for a patient also comes from the dietitian. Yes, exactly. We can help teach you how to use and take care of the tube, which is actually extremely simple. It's not this large device that is in your abdominal area. It's very well hidden and very easy to clean. Most often, adult patients with feeding tubes, it'll be placed somewhere on your belly and it'll look like a little plastic circle with a clear rubber type tubing with a little open and close valve on the end. This tubing is no more typically than six inches long, if that, and can be taped flat to your abdomen so no one knows you have it. One pro tip from experience, if you have a feeding tube or if you know someone with a feeding tube or will be getting a feeding tube, go on Amazon and get a feeding tube belt. Unfortunately, insurance does not provide you with these supplies, nor do you get one when you get this procedure. But instead of taping this to your abdomen and untaping every time you want to use it, it's an amazing little Velcro wrap that's machine washable. It wraps it to your abdomen. It provides some security, comfort, and easy access with a little open and closed Velcro patch. 
And if you're a belly sleeper with a feeding tube, helps prevent any movement on the tube. 10 bucks comes in sizes. Get two of them if you don't do laundry every day. That's my pro tip there. Excellent. Another thing is cleaning your tube is very simple. All it takes is some simple unscented soap and water. If you shower daily, then you'll clean your tube daily. If your tube is kind of tight to your belly and hard to get to, one thing you can do is take a Q-tip, get some soap on it, and kind of moisten it up behind there to get to that area. It's very important to keep your feeding tube clean and free of infection. But if I do think it's getting infected, then I send them back to Sarah. It's surprisingly rare with that procedure for any problems to arise, but things can happen like skin infections or infections within the body that can make a difference. And yes, you need to know what is normal, what looks normal, and then talk to your provider or surgeon. Any member of your team can take a look at that site and assess if it needs additional care. Yep. And again, super rare. But when you're working closely with the dietitian, they will assess the site every time, may even clean it for you or recommend some experienced knowledge. If it starts to get red or irritated after you clean it, pat it dry, put some Neosporin on it or any over-the-counter triple antibiotic ointment. My favorite is Desitin. If it's starting to get scaly and irritated, yes, what we use for our babies, but it actually is very good for that skin irritation, kind of nips it in the bud a little bit quicker, I've noticed, than Neosporin. And then always wear the gauze pad. I have had some surgeons recommend patients not wear their gauze pad because it's going to push your feeding tube away from your belly but I've talked with my local surgeons and the feeding tube is so greatly connected in there that a thin piece of gauze won't do that. So when you do get a feeding tube and the dietitian sets you up with your supplies, some of those supplies will include a four by four, meaning four inches by four inches, white little medical gauze pad with a slit in it. If you don't have that, you can go to your local pharmacy, grab some gauze pad, cut it with a pair of scissors, but basically it slides around the feeding tube little circle where the tubing comes out and creates a protective barrier between that and your skin. If you think about it, if I have a feeding tube two inches to the right of my belly button and I bend over to grab something, that bending motion creates rubbing and irritation and we see skin breakdown if you do not have gauze present. Good point. Again, taking care of your feeding tube is extremely easy. Infection rate is so low. And so the benefits are so high. There are more pros than cons with a feeding tube. You really want a dietitian if you're getting a feeding tube because some facilities will get you set up with a feeding tube but not put you on the right formula. Then you are not tolerating it well you have diarrhea, now you're dehydrated. So what was the point of the feeding tube, right? Your dietitian is highly trained in choosing the best formula for you. There are so many different options and I don't expect all healthcare providers who write the prescriptions for this to know of these, nor is it their job. That's why they have us on their team. 
And that's what I'm here to help with. I will often recommend to providers which formula I think is best. They prescribe it. It will get sent to insurance. And essentially, the dietitian will work with a company, large companies. There are some local companies. Your dietitian may have a favorite. That company authorizes it through insurance. And the nice thing about the feeding tube is that they will ship the formula and supplies directly to your house. And it'll be like a once a month prescription type shipment that you can reorder. The formula, your syringes, your gauze, all those things needed to take care and use the feeding tube will be shipped. For some horrendous reason, your insurance does not cover formula. We have seen that. It is sad. Don't pay for it. Talk with your dietitian. They may have formula supplies. They may have a way around that. There is a foundation out there called the OLEY, O-L-E-Y Foundation, where people who have feeding tube formula no longer need it will ship it to you for free. You just have to pay the shipping cost. There's so many ways out there besides having to pay for this formula because a case of formula containing 24 cartons, maybe five days worth, can cost anywhere between $75 and $200 a carton. Super good point. All of this with talking with your provider if you are struggling with tolerating your feeding. You don't have to put up with anything. Everybody starts with what they see works for their patients the most, but you are not the most patient. You are one patient. If you have different tolerances, that means you have different needs. That means you need that dietitian to help you. And if you don't have a dietitian, you need to still bring things up to your providers to say, hey, I'm having diarrhea or stomach cramping. Something is not right. You are not getting what you need for you. If you are being asked to pay for something that is unaffordable for you, that means you will probably not get what you need. Communication is the whole key to all of this to make sure your providers, your dietitian, your whole team knows what your needs are so things can be adjusted for you. You have to be your own best advocate in order for your team to know how to help you the best. That's exactly right. And you definitely touched on the big signs of intolerances. If you're getting fed through a feeding tube, it is not normal for you to be having severe diarrhea. It is not normal for once you administer your formula, your gut is cramping. That's your gut telling you, I don't like this. I can't tolerate it. Can we try something else, right? Our body's pretty smart and sometimes it really will be very blunt about what it likes and dislikes. Sometimes we have formula where it's not digesting and you actually may puke it up. You will be properly educated on all this. You can always ask again and again and again. It's not a problem. But once you're intolerant to something, the healthcare team, the dietitian will assess, okay, they didn't tolerate this. Now we're going to try this. For me, seeing that cancer patients with a feeding tube are a special type in their own with tolerance, 
Their body is going through so much. I am more of a proactive versus reactive person. And I kind of am able to and help teach other dietitians to start with a more specialized formula because we don't have the luxury of having four weeks to assess an intolerance to formula A and then move on to formula B because you could have lost a severe amount of weight due to intolerance and maybe you don't have that much left to lose. You're already malnourished. I just like to already give the body something that is going to be easier to digest and tolerate. Why mess around with trialing when I know that this is the better option and I can get it covered and it doesn't hurt? It only is better. That's where your knowledge is extremely important. So if somebody has a dietary restriction or even a preference to be more plant-based or consider themselves vegan, is that options for them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Nowadays, feeding tube formulas, there's so many cool options out there that make a dietitian nerd out. Some amazing things that we didn't have 10 years ago. Your standard formula is going to have a whey-based protein in it. By the way, when I use the word formula, it's nothing super crazy. It's basically like a prescription grade insure or boost bottle. You can actually use the over-the-counter protein shakes through your feeding tube. It's basically just a prescription-based protein shake essentially, but more well-rounded, more complete, more balanced, and different versions and varieties. Some will have more calories, some will have more protein. There's different strengths of it. So that's kind of where we're using these terms and lingo. Nowadays, there's some outstanding plant-based formulas that are beneficial. Plant-based nutrition is recommended by the American Institute on Cancer Research and the American Cancer Society. So if you're a cancer patient and we want you to do that, shouldn't you be able to do that through a feeding tube? Well, you can now. You can also create blenderized. Now, plant-based and blenderized are different. So plant-based, again, is using plant-based protein versus whey, like a pea protein or such. The blenderized is basically taking a meal and throwing it in a blender. It's your pureed option. So it's going to look like baby food, essentially. And it's going to come in little pouches. The only downside to that is it takes a little extra effort. You can't just twist off a cap and pour it in your feeding tube. That one you have to dilute a little bit. Then you can put it through the feeding tube. If accessibility and ambulation or movement and ease is not something the patient is able to do super well, you may just want something that's more accessible and easier for them unless there's a caregiver involved willing to put in that extra effort. You can also make your own at home which is something you want to do under the supervision of a healthcare professional because you do not want to become deficient in anything. So it takes some intense calculations to give your body what you need. The registered dietitian is trained in calculations, figuring out percentages of vitamins, minerals, trace minerals. That's why sometimes those prepackaged blenderized things are a much easier option. 
Your dietitian should have samples of those. I like to give my patients samples to try to figure out which one they prefer, which one they tolerate better, and then I'll place their prescription. It just makes the whole process smoother. Sometimes I have a combination. Sometimes they do the standard twist-off cap, whey-based protein one, but only one or two pouches or servings of blenderized. So we mix it up, you know. You are an individual. You have preferences. You have certain bodily needs. I am here to help facilitate your needs and wants and create the best nutrition for you. Exactly. And then go back to normal as soon as possible. Yes. And then if I can get you off that tube as soon as possible as well. To your most optimal health as soon as possible. Yes. One thing with a feeding tube, you should ask your dietitian or whomever is prescribing your formula if you've ever tasted it. Sarah, have you tasted a feeding tube formula yet? Yes. You have? I think you made me. I think I did too. <laughs> it's not good, is no. it? It's, it's probably the worst tasting thing I've ever tasted. So if you have a patient where we're feeding them through a feeding tube, but they're getting a lot of reflux, sometimes they get that nasty formula go up the esophagus into your mouth and they'll be like, wow, Gina, I didn't think things could taste that bad. Well, Ask your dietitian if that formula comes in a flavor. Any flavor besides chocolate is pretty much safe to administer. Some feeding tube formulas come in vanilla. Being proactive rather than reactive, I'll always order it in vanilla just in case you get reflux. So there's always these, you know, experience type tips of someone dealing with these types of scenarios and can help just with any little thing. To keep you doing what you need to do. If yeah. it's awful, then you're not going to do it. Yes. The more I can do to help my patient be willing to do feedings, I will do that. We've expanded a lot on feeding tubes and formulas. There are many reasons why somebody with head and neck cancer or even malnutrition because they're not using their mouth dental issues, teeth issues, tongue issues, any of these things that may require help with their nutrition because they're not swallowing optimally. So there is other people who may get benefit from this talk, even if they're not on a feeding tube and are using liquid nutrition. We are big proponents of liquid nutritions like Boost and Insure, but also things that you may not think about, like Carnation Instant Breakfast is a popular one. Things like diet supplements, Slim Fast is one that comes to mind, but definitely not the only one that, nope, we're not using it to decrease your calories or replace a meal, but it has some good tasting stuff in there that you may find enjoyable. Liquid nutrition can be a vital part of your treatment. I consider it part of the treatment plan if that's what your team is requiring of you. Sometimes you may lose weight and go to your doctor or provider and they're like, okay, now you need to start drinking some, they call them supplemental or protein shakes. You can get those anywhere nowadays. 
Costco, Walmart, local pharmacy. Muscle milk or those kinds of things. Those are all nutrition supplements, which are wonderful options for anybody that is having difficulty with this. Absolutely. Now, it does become very vital, though. Sometimes you may require a specific one. For our patients that maybe can only consume so much in their belly and they get full so quickly, but they have such a high calorie need, which protein shake would I rather choose? You have two 8-ounce protein shakes and both give you 30 grams of protein, but this common protein shake only gives you 120 calories, whereas this one gives you 350 you're going to want the one that has the most protein and calories combined. And I think that is literally the biggest, most common, I don't like the word mistake, but choices patients make is they choose option A because they see, oh my gosh, this has 30 grams of protein. How outstanding. And just choose that because it's super common. However, that protein shake with the low calorie would be something Sarah or I would consume at our lunch or as a snack. Whereas if you are requiring a high-calorie liquid diet, it is vital that we choose the appropriate one. Your team is going to be well aware of the different options and help kind of encourage you to choose the most appropriate one for you with keeping in mind taste, texture, and tolerability. And pain. We haven't really touched on the pain. So just as another medical option, there are medications to help soothe the pain of swallowing that a provider can prescribe for you. There's options of liquid lidocaine or viscous lidocaine. There are prescription strength formulas that you can also swallow, can help numb the mouth and the throat if you're having difficulty with pain. And also making sure that you are taking your pain medication as prescribed in general, because this whole process is hopefully a very temporarily painful process, but one that we're trying to get you over to the other side to your optimal health. Yes, Sarah just mentioned some outstanding points. We are pushing you to the other side. We are here. We have all these tools. We know what we're doing. Let us help you get to that side where then your body recovers. The painful swallowing that's temporary, that radiation that's temporary, a lot of times that's part of my assessment and follow-up with patients is, have you noticed any discomfort when swallowing? Does it burn? Is it irritated? The minute that occurs, I send them back to Sarah or reach out to Sarah because they need that prescription. Like she mentioned, you swish and spit or swish and swallow. Wait about 15 minutes. It kind of numbs it up. And then you have like a 15 to 20 minute window of reduced pain when eating and drinking things. It makes patients so much more willing and able to get in their nutrition. I tell my patients, it's literally like when you get to that severe point in radiation to the head and neck area, imagine the worst sunburn you've ever seen on someone times 10 on the inside of their throat and esophagus. And that gives the patient and their caregiver an eye-opening of, wow, it does hurt for them to swallow. It really is difficult. It is difficult. 
And again, you are asked to do this because it is not expected to be permanent. It is expected that you will recover from this. And do you know what makes you recover much quicker, Sarah? Nutrition. Yes, it does. <laughs> so if you give your body nutrition, you bounce back quicker. And the reason you're going to hear the word protein harped on by every medical professional during this process, protein, 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 because protein is what literally rebuilds all these damaged tissues and cells. It is what they call the building block of the body. It is going to create new healthy tissue and cells and get rid of the damaged, icky, burned ones, right? It's going to repair and rebuild and push you over that hump and get you to the healing, to the survivor circle. Absolutely. One little trick I've learned along the way throughout my years to help my head and neck patients recover from surgery and recover from radiation damage to the skin and inside of our mouth and esophageal area is using a wound healing agent, which sounds weird. People are like, but I don't have a wound, but you actually have an inner kind of damaged wound on the inside. There's some products out there that wound clinics give their patients and some large surgical centers give their patients post-op to recover better. But there's some products out there that I want you, if this is something you're interested in, talk with a dietitian before ever using it. Talk with a healthcare provider before ever using something like this because they are going to be very high in certain vitamins and minerals. But some products out there I use right now for my radiated head and neck patients is Prostat Advanced Wound, and it's like a liquid gel. A lot of my patients mix it with Jello, take it twice a day on the last week of radiation for like two to three weeks, and it's outstanding the way they heal. It's that extra oomph that their body is deficient in because the body's been through this intense treatment process. Another product is called Juven, or the competing brand is Arginate. Again, a lot of surgery centers use this. Plastic surgeons' office use this for healing. The research coming out behind using wound healing agents and head and neck esophageal cancers is phenomenal. I'm a very, again, like I say, proactive and more progressive approach. So I'm not prescribing this to anybody as medical advice, but I'm just giving you what I have seen to be beneficial. Perfect. We could literally talk about the importance of nutrition for weeks and months. I am so grateful for your knowledge because I learn from you every single time I listen to you talk. I thank you for your time. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Take care and spread kindness.